Hello everybody, it's Kristen Garth, and welcome to Kristen Whispers Sonnets on a week of um, governmental coups and <laughs> just complete anxiety and for a few days, um, even this week, because of watching everything that was going on, I didn't even write because I was just um, caught up and, you know, became glued to CNN girl and just, you know, so afraid, like, you know, what's going to happen next, you know, um, when you're not expecting, you know, your president to attack your own country. But hey, you know, <laughs> like roll with the punches, right? So um, anyway, it took me a couple of days to get over that, <laughs> just my mind, even though I was one of those people that was very worried about that from the beginning. Like I didn't sleep well the night before um, the 6th, and I just always knew in my mind there was going to be some kind of disturbance. But I didn't, even, it, it surprised me what happened. But um, anyway getting over that, trying to get over that, counting down time for the um, government changeover. Hopefully we will survive this interim, but in the meantime, there is always poetry. And finally, I got back to writing this week, and I actually wrote a couple of poems. Um, one I wrote about being triggered about <laughs> people in my neighborhood who still have up Trump signs, and um, <laughs> I you know, it's just kind of hard to wrap your mind around that, you know, um, like, one, it was, there. they still have up their Trump Pence signs, and to me, it's like, well, um, how do you even, how are you a Trump Pence person right now, because I think those two are pretty much at odds, so, you know, it's like, what, you know, I, I, I just don't get it, but it, it triggers me, because it's like, what, you know, if, if you're that, you know, after seeing what's happened in the Capitol, you kind of like wonder, you know, how extreme is anybody that's this gung-ho and, and holding off their fingernails this bad? So, anyway, <laughs> I, 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 this time though, I, I would, I should have actually probably read the poem that I wrote there, but, but I'm not, because it's going to come out in Punk Noir magazine if you're interested, probably in, in the next day or so, but, um, I just decided I wanted to write, get back to writing, and I needed to do a positive podcast about, um, you know, how art, we can shelter in art, and so, um, anyway, one of my, um, poems that I'm going to read today is all about that, and how, you know, we, we need to, um, no matter what's going around on, around us, what's gone on in our life before, you know, focus on your art. And that's why I'm going to read Girl with a Pen. A southern snowflake in blizzard descends. The winter you're born, beach towns snowed in. An alabaster tourist never blends. You're not like your parents. You don't pretend. Your town's churches, strip clubs, Puritan sin. You know very well by the time you're ten. It's beaten inside you till you comprehend. Their notion of naked you will transcend. They show their souls while you show them your skin. Champagne room secrets, they let you listen. Girl, just beginning, they don't know your end. You write in pink ink, these businessmen. It's who you become, not how you begin. How they will know you 
is girl with a pen. And um, I, you know, this was a very powerful assignment for me to write because it really was trying to say, you know, I couldn't control a lot of things that have happened to me in my life. You know, yes, you make decisions, but, um, you know, you do the best with um, some things that are kind of given to you. And, for example, in my life, I made a priority to get away from, you know, uh, a, a controlling abusive family and so instead of like staying in school and prioritizing that even I was in graduate school for creative writing I more prioritized getting myself into a financially stable situation where I had some autonomy and it's kind of like I call it like the hierarchy of needs or you know I don't call it that that's what it is but you know where you can't create art um, if you don't feel safe. I mean, you can, I did at that time, but I couldn't do it in the way that I do it now. I couldn't do it all the time. I, there was, I, I didn't feel confident to publish anything because, um, you know, I was too afraid of what would happen to me if, you know, my parents saw it or whatever, and I'm completely in their control still, you know, so it limits your options, you know, by definition. And I, you know, urge anybody who, there are so many young writers who, you know, are dealing with the same kind of thing, that they still live with their parents, and they're, they have, you know, it's like a spectrum, you know, they might not have as, you know, you know, it might just be more of a, I, I don't want to publish because I don't want an argument versus I don't want to publish because I think they might kill me or, you know what I mean? Uh, but whatever, wherever you are in that spectrum, I mean, you know what you can handle, but, um, like I, I kept a lot of my work from that time period and I didn't start publishing until I was in my 40s and I, but I still had a lot of sonnets that I wrote when I was younger and I put those out into the world and there's no reason even if you don't feel like you can um, publish for your safety and please value your safety always you can always keep everything you do and put it in a drawer and when you're in a safe place you know, you can give those poems a life, and I promise you, you will feel, um, it's almost like, you know, <laughs> you get to go back and be that person again, that you were without constraints, I mean, you still get to let that part of yourself, um, flourish and, um, have a life, but do it in a safe way, and I, like, I am not a person who, um, people have written to me before and asked me, you know, oh, I'm really worried about publishing a poem, and I'm always like, want to say why are you worried you know I mean everybody like I get worried even now just because you know it's embarrassing or something like that and that's one thing and I'm not even saying you should publish it if you know you don't understand that you're gonna have to um, expose this very vulnerable part of yourself if you're not ready that's a legitimate reason too but if it's a safety situation always do things you know in a safe a way as possible because there are um you know people out there who just get provoked and they're not you know they don't deal with things rationally I mean look at this week <laughs> look at our country like you know um and you know I came from a background of a family that I mean they believe and they have the same politics as like what went down this week and you know that kind of you know encapsulates I mean you know, my poetry is, like, totally not about that, so, you know, um, 
Anyway, my point is be safe and, you know, you can always collect your work and, you know, publish it later when you're in a safe space. And if you're not, you know, um, but I mean, if also, you know, if you, you know, make the decision to do it, just, you know, understand like, yes, I mean, it, it small press is not, everybody's going to see it, but you do have to be prepared that, you know, it's possible that, you know, your parents will, you know, see it, you know, or, or your, you know, abusive, you know, boyfriend or something like that. So it's, you know, take those safety considerations into account and make sure, you know, that you're not doing something that puts yourself in harm's way. But I will tell you that when you get to that point, there's something so rewarding about, you know, making it to that space and knowing that you are safe to have a voice and you can talk about what happened to you. And don't ever, um, when you are in that space, I think you need to keep talking about it and, you know, keep working on it as much as you need to, because who knows what you've, you know, gone through by that point. And there's a lot you might have to say and things, weird things happen all the time that maybe, you know, trick, bring thing, bring issues up that, that you need to, you know, explore. Cause sometimes I feel like I write, you know, the poems about these same characters in my life a lot, but at the same time I've had, you know, a continuing relationship there in ways that things happen at times and it just triggers you again and for me poetry is very therapeutic um this next poem I'm going to read all these poems are going to be about writing and uh, today and the unique you know way like the unique um situation we're all in where we're observers of life and we also you know, document what's going on around us, and, um, all the time, and that brings its own, you know, un um, issues to the forefront, and one of them is that, like, right before the quarantine, I, um, wrote a poem, um, or wrote a whole book called Flutter that was, um, Flutter so Southern Gothic Fever Dream about a girl who was quarantined, and, um, by, by her own, like, she had an illness, um, scarlet fever that she ends up dying from. That's a spoiler alert in a way, but it's kind of, well, I mean, it is and it isn't, you know, um, a lot happens after she dies. So a lot of the book takes place after that. And, um, it's not a normal situation because it's about the imagination and she created because she was quarantined at this time and like legally there was a point she had lived through the yellow fever in which she was quarantined and then her doctor you know quarantined her from with the scarlet fever so she is a teenager and she has all these um fantasies and you know normal teenage impulses for romance for drama intrigue and she creates on her parents' um, land, you know, looking out and, and, and populating the woods that are there with um, all kinds of creatures, including a boyish bee demon and spectral mermaids and, all you know, um, swans with fangs and um, different things that are, that oppose her. And she has to like, you know, work through issues and also she um, also works through her bisexuality because she um, has somewhat of a, like, 
um, frenemy situation with the um, spectral mermaids because they believe her family is the reason they are spectral because her father, um, there was a pond and he populated it with um, big fish, you know, but they were too big for the pond. And um, the reason he chose them though is because he thought, he knew his daughter was imaginative and they looked like with their tails when they would thrash in the um, pond like mermaids and so he would tell her the story of the little mermaid and she um saw that world out into her pond except that the fact that they people had tried to tell the father it's not a good idea because you know these fish aren't going to live but you know he he did what he was going to do willfully and they of course die and when they die um, they blame, you know, she doesn't see it as these fish signs, she sees it as mermaids, so then she feels she's haunted by the ghost of these mermaids, and, and they come and, and whatever, but sh her first kiss, um, is imaginary, of course, but, um, her first kiss is with this, um, you know, mermaid girl, well, it's not her first kiss, she's a first kiss with a girl, um, her first kiss is with the boyish bee demon, but he has a power of efflorescence, which means blooming, and so when, um, these mermaids are very jealous of her situation with the, um, with the <laughs> boyish bee demon, because they want him to kiss them and bloom them back to life into colors and not gray shadows of mermaids. But he, but the problem is that um, you know he won't he will not kiss the dead and they are dead. So um, you know he he keeps um, blooms things that are alive, turning their heads into flowers. But it won't work for the mermaids and they are very spiteful again towards the girl because they witness this girl who ha they blame for their destruction now kissing this um boyish bee demon anyway that's the long story of this plot but um it was just a weird time of my life because i never anticipated like anyone that we would have a quarantine and in fact, I was going to be going to teach a workshop at the Southern Literary Festival, and they had ordered Flutter to, um, you know, because I could talk about it there. And I was going to be um, when while I was there, I um, or when I was going to be there, I you know I was just getting all nervous because it was my first time I was going to read, you know, live and all these things. And then, of course, the quarantine happened, and it, that got canceled. So it was a huge um, blow. But also, it was just weird because I literally had spent the year before writing about a quarantine, and I could remember thinking, wow, I can't even imagine this. This can never, you know, can you imagine this in our modern world, trying to live in a quarantine? I mean, I remembered having those conversations with myself. So um, recently... There was a, um, a anthology called Red Skies that accepted this poem because they wanted um, poems about people trying to, you know, unique perspectives of living through the pandemic and quarantine. And um, so I, I'd have been wanting to write this little sonnet because, you know, it, I did think it was strange. I mean, I didn't know anyone else who right before was writing about this. And still, even having written about it, it wasn't like, oh, could this happen? I mean, I kept thinking during the time, oh, like kind of haughty, like, oh, you know, wow, what a primitive idea, you know, no, not knowing, you know, that it was coming for me. So 
that it's going to be published in Red Skies by Splinter Disorder Press, but also it just got accepted at, to be reprinted in um, Full House um, Literary, which I love their magazine. It's so um, cool. And, um, they just did the nicest podcast where they talked about my work. And, um, you know, so, like on a week where all I was getting was bad news, you know, in literal bad news of the world um, and our, you know, the, what's going on against our country. Um, it was so nice to hear somebody, you know, remind me again, like you're a writer and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And it was just exactly what I needed to hear to get me back, you know, focused on what I needed to do. So anyway, um, it's going to be in those two places and I'll read it to you now. Southern Gothic Quarantine. 2019, I write a quarantine in fictional 1883, hometown southern gothic fever dream. Green longleaf pines, a reclusive writer roams, will Google when alone. These trees live through a yellow fever quarantine, a word I'd rarely seen. Seems impossible to do, keep people home from home today in our modern world, but useful in novella, plot device. So I scribe, yellow fever ghost, spectral mermaid swimming in scarlet fever skies, where people distance die. A medical premonition, I'm too naive to see. Next year, longleaf pines, quarantine with me. And I should have said that also to explain this last line about longleaf pines. I live out in in the woods and I'm all around my house are longleaf pines. And that was part of why, I, I mean, totally why I wrote the book Flutter Southern Gothic Fever Dream after I moved to this house because I was so inspired by the land and it's, you know, a lot closer to, you know, the land, like what would the land have been like? you know, back in the 1800s, it's more, I mean, obviously a lot less cleared, I mean, a lot more cleared, but it's, it's not as cleared as a lot of places you feel kind of a timelessness out here. And it made me curious about my city in that time frame, 1883. And so I started doing research and I found out about these quarantines and the scarlet fever and yellow fever. Yellow fever was a huge epidemic here in Pensacola and Pensacola was a big port and I mean so many people died and in fact in Flutter Southern Gothic Fever Dream there is a yellow fever zombie um, poem because um, she also that's one of her um, imaginations is she is so lonely for friends that she imagines these um, dead children of yellow fever coming into her room through her window. And I also want to give a shout out on this since I've talked so much because there's a great picture that goes along with that that's done by Matthew Yates, who um, has done a lot of brilliant things. I feel like I was one of the people that got to like work with him first and so excited by um, all the pictures he did. It's nice to see people buying them, um, you know, and it's so weird too because it's like, you know, I write a poem and someone makes this beautiful piece of art that really captures it and even, and brings even nuances, you know, of its own to it. It's, it's just, I hope that's just the best feeling, you know, when you get to work with an illustrator and they bring that extra added layer to your work. So, 
Um, I'm gonna, the next poem I'm going to read um, is also about writing, but it's also about um, stripping. And, um, it, like, it, it's kind of a one that's kind of interesting with the whole quarantine feeling because it um, takes place before the quarantine. And I used to write in a Starbucks. It was right across the street from the strip club I used to work at. It's still there. It's been, that strip club has been there since I was a little girl. It was, um, you know, like multi-generational family um, place. So, um, you know, the father owned it and then his daughter took it over when I was there. It was owned by the daughter. But um, it, um, this is called Hate Has No Restricted Zone. And, and the, the reason that, you know, for the title is that also, it, it's not there now, it's a restaurant. But when I worked at the strip club, right across from where, um, you know, there's, we were like, Starbucks is like catty corner, but immediately across from the strip club was a church. And they were, they had, the church had come after, because where I live in the deep south, you can't make a strip club after a church. It can go the other way around, and I always thought that was weird, because the only reason they rented it was so this church, because it was a real extremist kind of group, was to sit outside with their signs, you know, and yell and protest, you know, that there was a strip club across the street, though they chose to be there. You know, they chose to come there to be, um, you know, um, to, for, you know, to cause trouble, basically. So, and, you know, it was just a hard, like, it was so hard at times coming to work in that environment, you know, because you're already, like, you know, I always was scared in the parking lot because you don't want to be, um, con you know, you had to walk, park, and walk in. You When you walked out of the strip club at night, you walked, you had someone escort you out. But when you got there, nobody escorted you in. So I was always, you know, trying to hurry it, you know, <laughs> up to the front door, you know, because you have all the stuff that you carry. We would carry a bag, you know, with all of our heels and many things. I mean, I still have dreams um, you know, where I forget my niece, I mean, I would always have, like, ten pairs of knee socks with me because they would get dirty on the stage, and, um, because the kind of stage they had just attracted dirt, like, at the end of the night, you would see the people washing that thing down, and the towels would just be black, even though the stage didn't look black, but anything that, like, touched against it, you would get, like, a little mark, so you always had to, if you were going on stage, you always had to have, um, different, you know, something to change into, like, and I wore socks all the time, so my bag was full of socks, and, you know, all the different things, you know, thong, all that, you know, so the point is, you know, I'm trying to, like, race with my bag and get inside, because you don't want, you know, these men bothering you in the parking lot, that you already had that worry, but then we had the worry of the people in, you know, now across the street harassing us too. And so, you know, it was just, it was just ridiculous. You know, it got to the point where you're just like, what? you know, this is very hard. And I mean, cause they would yell, you know, every epithet to you or, you know, center, you know, whatever, you know, and you try, once you get inside, you kind of make, you know, we would make jokes about it with each other and the men there, I mean, because I would yell at the men too, but it never, I don't know how bad it bothered the men, but, you know, um, it definitely kind of rattled the girls, you could tell, even though they would make jokes about it, and, and they they never, you know, they stayed on their side of the street, 
it was a, a very, thank God, very busy street. So they didn't, you know, come over. So I didn't, you know, and I didn't feel, but I mean, at the same time, you know, you just never knew, like, in the b back of your mind, like, is this the night that they're going <laughs> to just come into our parking lot or, you know, one of these particularly crazy people? I mean, I lived in a town where, you know, abortion doctor was shot. So, I mean, that kind of gives you, you know, uh, like, just try to, you know, if you're not from here and just trying to paint the idea of how oppressive this place can be. So, and, and the way people think they can, like, enforce their beliefs, you know, at, you know, nut jobs. And I'm not saying even in that group, that never happened. I mean, nobody ever got accosted. But you, it goes through your mind when you're raised in a place like that, that, you know, it just takes one person to, like, cross that street and grab you and, you know, try to, you know. So, anyway, it all sitting there writing um, in Starbucks and looking out and um, just remembering that whole thing, I wrote this um, poem about hate has no restricted zone, and I'm going to read it now. Coffee shop in which you write is across the street from where, so many nights, five years ago, you unbutton a white Oxford and toss it on a backlit, sta backlit stage. Five years of cheers escaping father's rage necessitates you enter through a parking lot of hurts post 20 years of pleated skirts law state strip club cannot open where there's a church converse is not true so these christians rent a building to scream at you burn in hell whore jezebel Epithets your parents used for a body they abused, you sell to lock it safe inside a home, your own. Hate in this town has no restricted zone. And that, I just, I wanted to make the point that, you know, like these people who judge and they have no idea, you know, who they're yelling at and, you know, what the people have gone through who work in a strip club. Not, I was not, you know, my story was not representative of everyone in there, but there were plenty of people in there who had been through a lot of trauma in their life. I mean, there were also people, you know, who maybe hadn't been through none of that. I don't know, but I knew personally I knew a girl who had been abused so bad by her father and her siblings that she killed her father and legally got away with it. I mean, was found, you know, not guilty of, you know, whatever. I mean, these are the kind of things some of these people have lived with. And so, you know, she's making her way in the world. She's, you know, trying to um, make a life for herself and get financial autonomy you know, because of abuse, just like me, and, like, then you're having to be abused by people who are supposed to be Christians and understanding while you're just trying to do your job, which is, you know, and so it was just ironic, you know, to me that it's, like, this was exactly, you know, kind of getting yelled at in exactly the same ways I got abused when I was a child to, um, trying to do a job to escape all that, you know, and anyway, it just was something that I really wanted people to think about, you know, if they heard it, and just maybe when you, you know, realize, you know, like, you don't know the situations of people in there, and, you know, who are you to judge, and um, 
that was that's something I always want to do with my writing is like try to put people you know try I've always tried to own you know these situations like you know stripping and whatever that that people might have opinions about but to say you know here's why I did this here's you know what it got for me and you know maybe you're illusions of what this is are skewed and are naive and you know I just want I don't tell everyone's story but that's what I think is important about writing is I can put my story out there and maybe it educates people so anyway I think that's like the most important thing is to be a girl with a pen and you know transcend all the things that have happened to you and help others to listen you know and to to learn so um anyway I just wanted to celebrate this week being a girl with a pen and I know there's a lot of you out there and it makes me feel so happy knowing you and I'm inspired by you and men with a pen too but you know today I wanted to really talk about being a girl with a pen and next week I'll be back on I'm gonna have a birthday show I think I'm gonna do one on my birthday so um that will be fun and I don't know what I'm going to read yet, but my birthday is next Sunday, so I think I'm going to, you know, have some champagne and then do a tipsy um, podcast, so I hope you will join me. But in the meantime, find something to cuddle up with and uh, read some poetry or write some, and let's all have a good week and hope and support each other because it's a trying time for our country so you know if you can reach out to people and be kind and give them some comfort in this time I think it's a great time to do that and I am going to go off and whisper to about something else somewhere else so (laughs) good night or good afternoon and see you next week on Kristen Whispers Sonnets Sonnets. Join me for a sonnet.